Con Radio, presented by Wizard World. Radio for geeks. Now on Kickstarter, Case File Arkham, Her Blood Runs Cold. Detective Hank Flynn returns for another case that will lead him into the darkest corners of Lovecraft's most cursed city, Arkham, Massachusetts. When an old friend shows up at Flynn's office waving a gun and rambling about the abyss of the Shawgoths, the detective is pulled into a case of love, revenge, and an elite family's generational feud, one which just so happens to involve a cult that is interbred with the spawn of a Sumerian god. Case File Arkham, her blood runs cold. Go to kickstarter.com to pledge your support until September 24th, and be sure to visit casefilearkham.com. You're listening to the Candare Podcast, your sidekick in the quest for knowledge, power, and entertainment. So strap yourselves in and prepare for victory! Welcome to another episode of Canned Air, a tribute to comics and pop culture, right here on Wizard World's Con Radio. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I am Jake Renyon. And due to technical difficulties, we do not have a guest this week, but we're going to power on and have an episode anyway. We spent this past weekend at the Cincinnati Comic Expo, and we had a hell of a good time, didn't we, fellas? Oh, yeah. Spent most of our time at the Corporate Accounting Symposium lecture, (laughs) so we've got a lot of, of hot bookkeeping tips for you this week. Right. Now, be sure to stay awake. (laughs) (laughs) Pop some no-dos, get ready for the ride of your life. So what we're going to be doing in this episode, we're just going to be spending uh, what would be the typically the Retro Roundtable talking about the Cincinnati Comic Expo, and then we're going to go around the table talking about our comics like we always do in the comic dump bin, and then we're just going to end the episode with a a panel we recorded of Ray Park, the uh, guy who portrayed Darth Maul in or the Phantom Menace or Snake Eyes. He's a cool dude. Yeah, he is. Very like much so, lot. yeah. He was awesome. We, I'd love to have him on the show sometime. Mm. That'd be great. That would be something. We'll try. I think I've emailed, emailed him before and didn't hear anything back, so. Have him do kind of crazy karate moves on on Skype. <laughs> <laughs> you see that? <laughs> I did it. I did you, it. You just hear him. Yeah! yeah. Wow, yeah. that was awesome. I bet that rules, Ray. <laughs> 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 All right, so, um, Today at our contemporary roundtable. <laughs> yeah, so let's kick it off with this past weekend's retro roundtable. Do it. Do it. Come on. I'm here. Come on. Do it now. Oh, my God. Grass. Taste bad. I like to play. All right, guys, the Cincinnati Comic Expo. Now, typically, like when we've gone to Wizard World Cons, we uh, you know try to snag some interviews with some celebs, uh, some people in Artist Alley, and then a panel, you know, put together some beefy coverage to sure. give out to the people. But uh, we weren't uh, really able to achieve that this year. Though we wanted to and we did try, that is a busy oh, man. Yes. freaking yep. convention. It's, it's like, a, like a Korean subway. <laughs> just wall to wall. What do you want me to do? Where do my limbs go? <laughs> it's, like, it's like if one person walking the alley stops, 
everybody done. stops. Yeah, Back yeah, to yeah. the entrance. A horrible traffic jam ensues. And, you know, it's not the fault of the uh, convention whatsoever. The convention itself is fantastic. Every year, it's just bigger and better, I think. Yeah. yeah. But I, I feel like they were spaced out as much as they could be. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Jesus. But, I mean, you know, the Wizard World Con in Columbus this year was like a... Uh, like a four-lane pleasure cruise, as uh, Kramer would say. <laughs> but um, it was just so nice. Yeah, you yeah. never felt uh, bogged down or Kinda anything Kind of go like at that. your own pace. Yeah, exactly. There were a couple of times <clears throat> I got pulled into, like, the slipstream, and I saw you guys, like, 50 feet back, and I'm like, I can't. I, there's no room to turn around. Where's he going? He's I'm, gone. It's I'm like going watching your friend me. get swept away by a river, you know? <laughs> yeah. like, I'll, I'll meet you at the other end. Pull Rip you out. Riptide's got it. <laughs> Oh, there he goes down the storm drain. We'll meet him at the reservoir. But, you know, the way uh, the Columbus Con was able to achieve that was that uh, that convention center is like a hotel. Like you can expand the walls out if you need to. And it was much bigger than it has been in the past. Now, the Duke Energy Center, at least where they have the con, does not allow for that. It is a fixed space. That whole area filled. Right. So they are doing... uh, you know, and they, they can't be blamed for the popularity of the convention. <laughs> right. And it's to be understood. Right. Yeah, it's I to mean, be understood. It's a great, uh, great convention. If the worst thing you can say about a convention is that there were lots of people attending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, let's talk some highlights of the con. What'd you guys uh, think? Oh, man. You know, this is stupid. I'm a big dork for like vinyl decals. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like I noticed every that. convention we've been to, <laughs> I picked. I've got like Immortan Joe's emblem from Fury Road. I got uh, recently the Hydra logo. That's going on my computer. It's gonna be cool. <laughs> I got a hexagram. If I ever want to convince my friends, I'm a practicing diabolist or something. I don't know what that's for, but I love the design. So whatever. And uh, upside down star. That's the pentagram. <laughs> Hexagrams go. even more. Oh, okay, it's yeah, got yeah. six points. Shit's crazy. <clears throat> And uh, oh, I, I got some Bioshock stuff at the last convention mm. we went to, like the Big Daddy vinyl thing. I don't know why I have these things. They're not going to be practical. You know, I've, I've watched you buy a ton of those things at the <laughs> conventions, and then you come over and your car doesn't have a single yeah. one on it. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. where the hell is he putting these things? I'm not putting them on the car. <laughs> I know that. Computers mostly. <laughs> oh, man, I've got this... Uh, White labels on the walls in his room. <laughs> yes. You must have a big oh, yeah, that's, computer, that's nice. like a really yeah, big computer. Really. Well, here's here's the thing, my friend. They're on the screen. This, yeah. <laughs> Try to play games. Play I'm not around. even good anymore. <laughs> I stopped playing Counter Strike. It's just not worth it. <laughs> um, I had this. It was a knight from Dark Souls, Solaire. I was really excited to get. It was like a little cartoony version of him, and I was like, Oh yeah, sweet. And I had it forever, and I finally put it on my laptop, and I'm like, Okay, I'm committed to this laptop and the mm. sticker. Bam, put it on there. The next morning, <laughs> literally, the laptop bricked. Oh. I took it off, and I'm like, <coughs> do I put this on another laptop? Is this thing cursed? <laughs> the superstitious part of me is like, let it die. Put it in a scrapbook or something. But yeah, like that and like pins and buttons. <laughs> you just bury it under the uh, floorboards. Like <laughs> the next family that lives in the house, they yeah. say it's cursed. When I get to a convention, I become like a 70-year-old woman. And I need just need to find little baubles to put on all my stuff. It's like I got this one, Cincinnati, right. with my friends. This is our third year going to this convention, yep. and I was just thinking the other day, remembering the first time we walked in there. And mind you, it was only the second convention I'd ever been to. But that was my first. You and Jeff, if I'm not mistaken, but mm-hmm. um, 
It was the first real con <laughs> I had been to. And I remember that when we all walked in the door, we all froze in our tracks. Yeah, yeah. And instant overstimulation like swept over everyone <laughs> it's like you see the human body trying to go five different directions at the same time it's like well i got a good thing but well, someone might buy that before i get there help me <laughs> kill me i was the same way first convention i ever went to was in indianapolis indiana and it was the lake geneva war games convention mm. colloquially known as gen con per se <laughs> and uh, the first time i walked in there and they make everybody wait outside these big double doors and the door swung open to just the endless war machine and war hammer and everything that starts with war and Reaper had a booth and all this cool shit. And you could hear like the Jurassic Park theme. Like, oh my God. Taking off my glasses all shot, you know. Yeah. It's there's nothing quite like it. There really is. It's a weird experience. And we're desensitized oh, now. Man, um, yeah. It's just business as usual. Yeah, you just walk in, splash your badge, like, Sweet. all right, guys, where do we start? Oh, but- Tower of T-shirts, that's new. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Batman 66 mobile. Sweet, okay. only seen that four times. <laughs> the Jurassic Park Jeep. Yeah, oh, that's Still new. still weirdly hey, hey, colored. Yep. To their credit, I didn't see it this year. At least in no, Cincinnati. It was at Columbus, though, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't they had Optimus Prime there that this year. That was cool. Yeah, even though the flames thing is blasphemy, uh, especially yeah, exactly. like when he transformed and stood like thirty feet tall. Oh like, it God. was incredible. That's like, the thing I hate most from a series. <laughs> just kidding, just people. Full of things I hate <laughs> is the Michael Bay Transformer movies. When they transform, they've got about six to seven times the total mass. Uh, yeah, yeah. That yeah. they had as a car. I'm like, where's it going? Where's it going? Are they hollow? You know, do these things crumple? Because there's got to be no space. Uh, sorry, I'm going to get off on a tangent. <laughs> it was cool right there with the, the Optimus Prime truck sitting there. That Did you hear him talking? They had no. a recording of Optimus oh, talking. No, and it was cool because it was real deep and booming like Optimus. Was it really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. I wonder Welcome. if anyone out there knows... Where the Transformers are here, well, you know, his whole speech at the end of <laughs> right. the first movie. Freedom is the right of all sentient beings. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I just stand there and feel it bounce in my chest. I was like, Damn oh, it. you know what? It's just a big semi. Just occurred to me. And then on the way home, just a few hours later, Bumblebee passed us. <laughs> Remember yeah, that's the, right. the, the car yeah, said the yeah. plate said Bumblebee, said Bumblebee. and it was, was a uh, Chevy instead uh, of a B. It was that same. It was the same car they used in the movie. It's, I just don't know. Camaro. Is that yeah. what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How cool. Yeah. You know, if they had the balls, they should have made him like a little, what was he, like a VW mm-hmm. bug in the cartoon. That's yeah, what the worst thing is. They brought the VW back, so you would have thought they'd have kept them. But Is that what they did? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Oh, shows you what I know. Well, it was years before that the VW bug came back. But yeah, oh, you I see what you're have, saying. I thought you meant in the... They would okay. have kept them, but no, they just turned them into that, that 70s Camaro that they ended up bringing the new model out that year that the <laughs> movie came out. <laughs> just a car commercial, the, the whole movie, yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. that... Sucks. I'm sorry. We need to move <laughs> forward before I get... I, we went to the theater opening night to see the first one. Oh, you and know what? It, mm. uh, I had fun with it. That was yeah. before I knew how batshit crazy Shia LaBeouf was, mm-hmm. however you say his yeah. name. Um, and I do it, remember going to it like a midnight premiere, and it was exciting. Yeah. The Megan Fox thing was a bit over the top, because yeah. like she'd ever give a shit about him. Right. And um, the whole comedy scene where Optimus oh. is standing in the backyard and he's like crushing everything and somehow Peeking still in the windows where the parents are still alluding you know the parents don't know yeah. and I was like come on but I, I remember 
that moment just destroying me because I heard this child, and I'm not saying that in the derogatory way I usually mean it. I mean like a literal young human who that moment, like he crushed like a fountain or something. And it was like that laugh you only hear in middle school. Just like super sharp, just, you know, I'm like, I need to go, man. If you guys are my friends, you'll take me home. I loved it in the movie when you first saw the, the police car. And it went patrolling, like trolling by, and you see oh, on the yeah. side that it said the punish and the punish and slay. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. I was just like, like this is that? awesome. <laughs> the the very opening scene to that movie with the the chopper. Oh god, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. If they yeah. just made that and like done, I'd be like, oh okay. Yeah. I enjoy the first one. The ones after that, they just progressively get worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was that the second one, the dark? I, I loved how they put the history into that one with the dark of the moon. Yeah. It's, it's just an interesting concept squandered by the worst director in human yeah. history, the worst <laughs> living human being who's ever lived. Yeah. But yeah. when Leonard Nimoy killed, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hound? <laughs> right. Not Hound. Uh, the, the big black truck. Uh, uh, damn it. His, I can't remember his name now. Don't know. It was like, it was John Goodman, wasn't it? It was like the voice? No, nah, he was John Goodman one. was that uh, big... Like ancient aircraft. Oh, he was the Blackbird, the, right? The Blackbird. Jet? He was like a great big plane, I thought, wasn't he? Mm-mm. He was uh, the big green jeep in the the third. Oh, one. wow, Jesus! So I it's all blended together. Yeah. They're all the same angular uh, mess. Uh, yeah, but when they killed uh, the one of the main characters, on I was pretty pissed. Hmm. Yeah, the Marky Mark one. <laughs> <laughs> I That's have never. Once been able to get through, and it looked like it would be good, but no, it was horrible. Every time I sit down to watch it, like I never make it through, never, and I, I've given up trying. I remember when that movie came out, and at my favorite theater where I was at the time, there was this big cardboard standing advertisement thing. Mm-hmm. I forget the term they use for those. It was Optimus Prime oh. with a big flaming sword held up in the air. Even though everybody knows Optimus Prime's weapon is a flaming axe. Come on, guys. <laughs> and he was riding on top of a giant Transformers T-Rex, Grimlock, presumably. Mm-hmm. And I saw this, and it just pissed me off so much. Because I knew what I was seeing should have been the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. You know? Here's a robot with a flame. Not just any robot. Optimus Prime. Arguably my favorite robot since mm-hmm. I was like four. <laughs> on top of a mechanical T-Rex that is also breathing fire. Like mathematically, that's the coolest combination of things you can even crunch the numbers on. Robots, dinosaurs, and, I, and fire. Yeah. yeah. And I knew the movie would suck so hard that it was just meaningless. And it was just, I felt like you know, Planet of the Apes, just like on my knees in front of what's left of the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> you maniac! <laughs> that movie, you had to wait until like the last 15, 20 minutes before you saw the Dinobots. Ugh, God. It was horrible. Garbage. Garbage. Like making you wait to the last uh, five seconds of Star Wars to see Luke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the whole time gotcha. I'm just sitting there watching my where, where watch like, come on. Was that him? Come on. He's, he's got to come on now, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, okay, the con. Yeah, that's a, yep. <laughs> What about you, Jack? Favorite uh, highlights of the con? Uh, I don't know about favorite, but one thing that kicks my ass is I didn't buy me a Mi 6. I should have oh, bought me a Mi 6. I thought you would. And that's why I like turned around and flagged you and said, hey, Mi 6. Well, it was early in the the day, so I thought yeah. oh, it will come around again. And then I don't, I don't remember ever seeing it again, even though there no. was a thousand of them. There was there, a ton but, of yeah. them, yeah. I can't imagine they were gone. But man, I'd have had fun chasing this. They have them just down the road at Packrat saving Mi 6 if you still want one, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, when we walked in, I saw uh, Pop Vinyl's pinhead from Hellraiser mm-hmm. and I made a mental note it's like I'm gonna walk away with that today 
And then I never found it again. I don't know if I, if I was in some weird, like, quantum-locked part of the convention that, like, doesn't exist when you're observing it. You've just got to wander in. It, it was gone. Did not exist. I didn't remember the booth. It's probably some shadowy old man behind the counter. It's like, you'll be back. They no. always come back. No, my favorite part was the uh, State Farm booth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I couldn't say it with a straight face. That was the most obscene thing in the whole con. And it was funny, too, because you could watch other people just, as they walk by, like, they slow their pace and they just, <laughs> like, their heads kind of What is happening? Like, well, State Farm? What? <laughs> I remember I walked by and one of the people at the State Farm was like, hey, how are you? And I was like, hi. And that was the end of our interaction. And I walked away like, what just happened? <laughs> like, here's State Farm. I didn't even notice who I was talking to till I was mid-word, like, hey. <laughs> Very surreal. They had, like, I saw there was, like, a video game console set up in their little tent. But other than that, it was just a bunch of people in uh, red shirts and khakis. Trying to trying to, to buy something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, still perplexed by that one, but <laughs> that's weird. I'm not going to try to figure it out. Um I guess for me, every time we go to these cons, I see this one toy vendor, uh, the Hive of Villainy. He's there. Every con I go to, I see the guy. And he's always got great stuff. He puts in work, that guy. Yeah. And and I'm always drawn to his booth. I don't ever go, like, looking for him. I just, I always walk around just, you know, seeing what catches my eye. And it's always his stuff that catches my eye. Something caught my eye, and I walk over there. And, uh... Many cool things that I would have loved to take home, but hanging there on the peg. Mm. Four little boxes containing four very important little key members <laughs> to a certain team I'm a very uh, do, big does fan Does the audience of. even understand our obsession with the A-team? Because I feel like that's almost like a secret thing. <laughs> yeah, like, I've almost, mentioned yeah. it several times with the A-team <clears throat> comic. And, but uh, they don't whatnot. understand. You, you really don't understand how much I love the A-team. And here were the A-team figures all hanging there. And boy, were they pricey. They were <laughs> Three of them were 20 bucks a piece, and uh, BA was 15 And I thought that was a little racist, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't have all his gear. That's why it was He's worth yeah. just as much. <laughs> but anyway, um, like, I was so taken, because the faces really don't look anything like him, but I could no. see, obviously, one that was BA. I mean, Mr. T-Doll, you're not mistaken with anybody else. Yeah. Someone that definitely looked like Murdoch, goofy face, had the hat, uh, definitely Hannibal. I had to hear it from the dude's mouth. I said, come here, come here. Just tell me, what am I looking at here? <laughs> and he said, A-team, and I just about pissed in my pants. <laughs> I've been looking for these things everywhere, and there they are, all hanging right before me. And it's the little G.I. Joe size, like three and a quarter inch, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I got all four of them for 50 bucks. So I thought I was happy with that. I just remember happy. coming around the opposite way of the booth. And you're standing there staring at him. I was like, oh, what are those, like G.I. Joe's or something? That guy's got a mohawk. Oh, my God, that guy's great. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, somebody hold me up. Hold me I up. Just hear you. I got to hear it from him. I got to hear it from him. I got to hear it from the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Not taking a chance on this. <laughs> he said, it's the A-team. I was like, <clears throat> thank you. I know it is. Thank you. I saw, oh, man, it was a complete set of the Constructicons. Mm. which I'd probably give my leg for. And I say that, but I wasn't willing to give the $200 for them at the Ooh. time. So yeah. I guess I wouldn't really give my leg. Because I value it, my but, leg at uh, more than 200 It's not a decal. That's the know? thing. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's like, how am I going to put it on my computer? And 
I, I, I couldn't have them and not take them out of the box. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. That would be my whole yeah. impetus. It's like, ah, kill. And then, like, Devastator lives. <laughs> right. like, but I couldn't keep them in the box. It would just be a waste for me. Well, I'm right there with you. I, I'm a, as you know, or may or may not know, I love to collect Simpson things. I'm, I don't know. I'm not seeing any evidence to support <laughs> the that. The 200 claim. figurines on the shelf behind me <laughs> ought to be some inclination. But, um, that what you see here on the shelf is the tip of the iceberg. I have a box that sits as high as this table and is <laughs> about as wide as this table, just packed full of Simpson gear in the basement, unopened, play sets, and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, these are things I got for Christmas. And I'm like, oh, thanks so much, you know, and okay, I got it. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to play with you. I'm going to keep you in the box. So, you know, we've moved a couple times. And when we moved in here, I was going through the stuff and I saw my Kangen Kodos here that I have out now, but opened them after owning them for 13 years. <laughs> yeah. And that was a huge uh, hill to get over. But <laughs> once I did, I was so glad I did. I mean, I can enjoy them now. What's the point of yeah, having yeah. them if I'm not going to enjoy them, Seriously. right? I'm not selling them, so might as well yeah. enjoy them. I'm still going to stay pissed at that vendor for not selling me that Sabine Red figure. Yeah, that Rebels. was bullshit. Yeah. I didn't even see her sitting with anyone else. Did you? It was... Yeah, it came with, with it. She was sitting next to a Kanan in a stormtrooper suit. You could take his helmet off. And uh, Kylo Ren, that one figure that you pulled up. Right. That was part of the set, too. And there was like... That's a not even from Rebels. Are, uh, yeah, tell me about it. And she's the only one other than the pilot that she only comes with a ship that I've never seen anywhere, but I've got everybody else. Hmm. And that would have been yeah. perfect on my desk, sitting there, all of them, because she's one of the cooler ones that I like. Well, he ought to be more clear, I think. Yeah. But he had a lot of cool stuff. His booth was, or his little, I guess it's booth, what do you call it? It's like a three-foot path all the way around. Oh, that was if it. that, it was horrible. And it went up like labyrinth. eight foot. Yeah. <laughs> One, he did have one thing that I regret not getting was uh, the Tony Hawk Nintendo 64. Oh, my God. Tony Hawk game. Pro Skater. Guess how much it was? Oh, it's probably like 70 bucks. No. $6. Get the, man, what are, you, what are you telling me this? <laughs> well, I've been living with it since Saturday, man. <laughs> but, I wish I'd looked harder when I was there. I'd have bought that some bitch in an instant. He also had uh, Star Wars, uh, what was it, Shadows of the Empire? Oh. Ooh. Six bucks. Is that the one with... Uh, Oh, I can't remember the main guy in it. Yes. It took place the same time as New Hope. <laughs> yes. Dash Rendar. Yes, 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 yeah, yes. That was a good, oh, God, that was a good game. And I wanted to get it so freaking bad, but I, I just dropped 50 bucks on A-Team action figures, and I, you know, I thought, oh, I better not. But after on the whole way home, <laughs> Retro God, I just remember how much fun I had with that Tony Hawk game when it first came out. It was everything. Never was, been on a skateboard in my entire life. I will play the hell out of a Tony mm, Hawk game. Those yeah. were a blast. They are fun. Underground, oh, Tony Hawk yeah. Underground. That you was, got yeah, your friends over. Yeah. That, shit, that shit gets real. That's pretty much the main reason I still have my original Xbox because I still have all those skate parks I built saved. They were nuts, nuts. Good stuff. Yeah, good times. <laughs> good times. <laughs> good times. Yeah. <laughs> what are we dying? <laughs> Do you remember the time? Um, but yeah, the uh, convention. <laughs> so moving past the <laughs> vendors that we uh, had fun at, uh, typically, again, we would talk to people in Artist Alley, but it was so freaking busy. Oh, mm-hmm. um, you know, you didn't want to disturb anyone. They're there making money. I don't want to pull them away from that just to humor me and our, our show here. So <laughs> um, a few interviews, though, I did try to get first was uh, Steve McNevin was there, uh, was the illustrator in Civil War, the yep. original Civil War series, and uh, that was with Mark Millar, and also worked with Mark Millar on uh, the Wolverine series, and he also uh, illustrated the death of Wolverine. So mm. it was 
all these books I'm a huge fan of. Awesome to meet him. I did inquire with him about being on the show. Oh, did you? I did. And uh, he's not interested. Ah. No. Um, he was very nice. I, I shouldn't say he, you know, he didn't come off mean or anything. He was very, very nice. And after I just watched him sign, no shit, a six-inch tall stack of comics that this dude just slapped in front oh, of me. Oh, no. it's easy 30 books, something like that. Well, the autographs were free if they were personalized. If it was just his name, then you had to pay 10 bucks a pop. And so he, they were all personalized. He was just taking advantage of it. Like, mm. sign every one of what them. What an ass. And just step, stood there making a conversation, trying to be funny and stuff. And you could just, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Steve, this dude seemed so nice. But if it were me, I'd have been like, you son of a fucking man. <laughs> Can you imagine your hand at the end of the day? Ugh. No. I'm left-handed, so I'm well, always yeah. dragging ink across. Yeah, yeah, your hand, whole palm would just be black. At the same time, though, he's, you know, a comic illustrator. Well, yeah, he, he's used to drawing <laughs> yeah, all true. over the place. But I was like, you, you think you want to be on the show sometimes? Well, you know, I don't get a lot of time. I stay pretty busy, and, you know, I, I wouldn't even know. You know, just kind of the same spiel that um, uh, Burt Ward gave me. So yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I can take a clue, dude. Thanks for the autograph. Have a good day. He's probably really busy, though, not like Burt Ward. <laughs> <laughs> Burt Ward's just burnt out. He's there for a paycheck, and Burt Ward was very nice. He was very nice, but... Uh, well, him and Adam are going to do the uh, Batman cartoon, 66 cartoon Yeah, movie. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Okay. But also there, uh, Stan Lee was there. Not that yeah, we got yeah, within uh, 30 feet of him, yeah. but... Uh, Tried to run at him. I'm sure he had yeah. snipers posted all the way. I've done the Stanley thing before, and I paid a lot of money, and it was so impersonal that it's just like I couldn't bring myself to ever probably do it mm-hmm. again, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's one of those things where... I think I brought this point up with you guys before. It's like, once you get there, what can you possibly say? You know, what, yeah. what can you say that's new? What's he going to say that's exciting to you? Not that there's anything wrong with talking to him, but it's like, you, you know... You're, you're both strangers, and that'll never change. You know, I, yeah. I feel like I, I can't justify it in my head. Not it's friends like, after. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, what irritated me is that I'd seen people in line ahead of me that when they get up to him, you know, he'd put his head up and they'd engage in conversation. And I was like, I can't wait for that. I can't wait to do that, you know? And then I get up there and I was just started going in, like, you know, I love Spider Man, man. Thanks so much for this. Uh, you know, whatever. I don't know what I said, but just more gloating, love your work. He just kind of looks up at me and smiles and says thanks, shakes his head and stuff, and that was that was pretty much it. <laughs> I got my autograph, but uh, yeah, I mean, there are so many people that you just have to keep that yeah, line yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm glad I did meet him, but sure. I would never, had I known that ahead of time, I wouldn't have done it. Would not have done it. And this was his last appearance yeah. in this, like, geographical yeah. area. Yeah. Right? I'm so, yeah, I'm surprised he still does it. I mean... It's got to wear him he's, yeah. How old is he now? Do we? 90. Is he's he in 90? his 90s. Oh, no yeah. Way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Good man, though. Good oh, sure. man. Uh, a lot of Star Wars royalty there. Billy D. Williams oh, was man. there. Yes. Very sexy man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. The I don't think I saw him. I didn't there. see him. Yeah. But no. Um, who else? Uh, Ray Park, obviously, Darth Maul. Uh, Quinn? General Rockbar. Uh, Mike Tim Rose and then yep. Mike Quinn, like you're saying, uh, Nine Num. Yeah, that's yeah, that's his name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, him. But uh, I did get to talk to him and I did inquire with him. I w- <laughs> we caught his booth at kind of a little bit of a lull. There wasn't anybody in line there, so I rushed up quick and I was like, "Hey, you know, think we might be able to get a few minutes for a quick interview?" 
And, uh, you know, he said that's something they really don't do while they're doing the convention. Right. So some people do, some people don't. I get it. But he did say uh, he gave us his contact information and to get a hold of him. So hopefully here in the next uh, month or two, we're going to have him on the show. Oh, how cool. That'll be cool. He's done a lot of... Oh, yeah. I mean... Crystal. Exactly. On top of um, Star Wars, one big thing I really want to talk to him about is just he worked right next to with and learned from Jim Henson. Mm -hmm. And, you know... That's a big deal. Brought to life many of the Muppets we love and the Muppet movie, uh, Mm -hmm. many of the older Muppet movies. So, um... He just seems like a really cool guy. I can't wait to have him on the show. It's going to be awesome. Fraggle, Fraggle Rocket all. I would imagine, probably, in some capacity. somewhere in there, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know anybody whose life wasn't changed for the better because of Jim Henson or the Muppets specifically. And if I met somebody whose life wasn't, I wouldn't want to know him. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's, it's a big deal. Something about it just feels... It's like no matter what, the Muppets are always... I think what keeps what makes the Muppets special is that they treat the Muppets like real people. They yeah, treat yeah, the Muppets yeah, like, well, like they don't, they don't bring character. Beings. They right. don't bring up the idea like, oh, it's just a show, kids. It's, they don't have the puppeteer who does Kermit on the show. They have right. Kermit on the show. Yeah. And, you know, they sit there and talk with him and then next guest or whatever. I love that. Absolutely love that. Yeah. And their dry humor. I think that's where <laughs> I might have gotten it <laughs> from. Swedish chef. Oh, God. Swedish chef blows my mind. Culturally (laughs) offensive makes it so much better. (laughs) I imagine there's got to be at least one Swedish, some person of Nordic descent who's like, this is some bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a mini documentary that they were, they went to Sweden to kind of listen to how they talk. And that's not even close to the way Swedish talk. It's like something like, oh, is it like Greenland or something? It's, it's closer to one of those other countries, but yeah, it's nowhere near. A very complicated. Yeah. Language. You get off the plane and just see him. <laughs> I wanted to go to Sweden to hear the way they talk. I love the Swedish chef, but it's nothing like that here. Oh my God. That's some good stuff right there. So yeah, we'll have we'll get Mike Quinn on here and uh, pick his mind. I can't, also can't wait to talk to him about uh, Jim Henson's uh, memorial service. Like, I don't know if it was his funeral or whatever. My God, that was such a good tribute to him. And uh, he was part of that. So it'll be awesome to talk to him about that, too. Good times. Anyway. Well, not good times that it was a memorial. We'll fix it. Right. <laughs> put, put the shovel down. You're digging. You're digging yourself. All right, guys. Uh, so, all right. You want to move on, then? Have we covered the con? I think, yeah, I think, I think to the is. best of our yeah, abilities yeah, yeah. here. All right, cool. You also want me to talk about decals for a few more minutes? I can make that happen. Uh, Let me tell you about the texture of a decal in your hand. <laughs> okay, we're good. The kind oh, of adhesive that's used to keep them in place. All right, gentlemen, who would like to go first with the comics this week? Comic dump bid. I will not go first. Oh, I'll go first. first. Well, I'll go yeah, first. How about that? I thought you meant you will. I know. See? <laughs> oh, I'm a trickster. <laughs> All right. So I've been holding on to this book for some time. Great cover. Uh, yeah. And that's why I bought it. Uh, when Daredevil first made its debut on Netflix, that's when I got into the character. No, Ben Affleck, you didn't do it. <laughs> that's right. Though no you welcome. are a good Batman. Um, so I went down to the basement over at Pack Rats, dug through some old, uh, or no, I got this at the toy store. I got this at uh, Big Fun downtown. Ironically, they're looking for A-Team action figures when I got this. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how the universe works, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, so this book, after looking at it, I am... Is it a double cover? It is. It has two covers on it, which <laughs> I'm fine with because it's protecting the one on the inside. Yeah, so. yeah cool. <laughs> 
But it's the double size 300th uh, issue special, and it's the last part of Last Rites. So I don't have the first parts of this. I don't know how it played out, but this is the finale of it. And I bought it because when flipping through it, I'm pretty sure this book may have been, and I could be wrong, but from what I am seeing, could have been the inspiration for that last episode of season one where uh, he fights Wilson Fisk in that alley. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> I was just at the edge of my seat drooling when that was going on. Yes, yes. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but like it was in that episode they unveiled like the Daredevil suit. Yeah, yeah like, when he had the first fully time. armored. Yeah. Oh my god. What a tease, so cool. man. I've yeah, right? been waiting so long for Love that. Love that black suit though. Yeah. Oh man, that was sharp. So this opens up, this comic opens with uh the Daily Bugle. You see Jameson pacing in the dark in front of his desk saying, you know, why should I trust you? You know, but you know better than the wall wall crawler, you know. I'm not taking orders from you. And you see in the corner, there's the daredevil saying, you know, you are the voice of the people. You need to expose Wilson Fisk for what he is. Instead of burying him on the last pages of the paper, put it up front, expose him. And so he talks Jameson into it and they run the bugle front page. Kingpin is, uh, what is it? Faces the grand jury. He's already in trouble. Again, I don't know exactly what he's done, but his empire, like in the show, has pretty much, you know, been brought down mm. and he's in his last days he's uh running from the law and he doesn't he's lost all of his money so he doesn't have uh you know all the luxuries that he's always been able to afford so the feds are then brought in to apprehend you know this front page newspaper has brought a lot of attention the feds have now come in because of all the attention and they're going to bring him in and you see a little bit of a flashback to uh, Wilson when he was a k- uh, kid with his old man, again, from the TV show. Mm. I think in the TV show, he just beat him to death with the hammer. Yeah, yeah. But this here, he uh, he's wrestling with him like after a gas can, and he snags a hammer and swings and hits the gas can, and it leaks, and the spark from the impact ignites and just burns him alive. Back when wow. gas cans were metal. That would give you some inclination as to when this was made. Oh, there's a Bart versus the World uh, Nintendo game ad in there. So there's some inclination. A nightmare. (laughs) So when Wilson's at his lowest, he doesn't know where to go. His associate comes to him and says, hey, I just had someone, uh, you know, one of these feds that are after you reach out to me. And they're saying that if you can help bring to justice the person who murdered this uh, one of her relatives, a cabbie in the city, you know, three or four years ago, she'll see that these charges are dropped. Now, this cabbie that was killed was by goes by the name of it was something like Jonathan Gold or something like. <laughs> I don't know why they had to give the, the the cab driver such a flashy name, but Johnny Platinum, right? But as he says this to him, you know, as to says it to Kingpin, Kingpin kind of hunk, hunkers down. He's like, "Oh yeah, I remember that." Turns out he's the one that killed him. Now, the reason he was killed is he was trying to set up Matt Matt Murdock for murder. Say that five times fast. And he had the Daredevil's baton, and he beat this cabbie with it, and then was going to put an unconscious Murdock in this taxi cab, shove it into the river, and then turn in the Daredevil's wand with Murdock's prints on it as evidence, you know, to soil his name even after he's dead. So Kingpin's been holding on to this baton with the prince on it because obviously Murdoch didn't die, so there was no way he could turn it in and say Murdoch did it. He was there to say, I didn't do it. 
he's been keeping it in like a lockup downtown. So he goes downtown to get this baton. He goes, I'm going to get this baton, turn it into the law. They'll see Murdoch's uh, hands on it. They'll know that this dude's blood's on it. He'll be framed for murder. I'll have the charges dropped. So he goes downtown to the storage box and he's standing there saying, you know, I need to get this out of my locker. Doesn't have enough money to pay the funds. And as he's standing in front of this glass, like freaking out, I need this item. He sees in the reflection of the glass in front of him, Daredevil standing behind him. He's like, oh, God, no, not now. And Daredevil's like, you really think the feds made this deal for you? He goes, I set all this up. There is no way out for you. And that's when this battle starts. They just start. It's kind of like a Peter Griffin and giant chicken fight where they just kind of (laughs) end up rolling around town. They get on a bus. They drive the bus off uh, the side of a bridge. And it's really good. I don't say that saying it's a bad fight. I enjoyed every minute of this comic. But um, then obviously, you know, Kingpin gets beat and goes or no, he doesn't go to jail. He gets away somehow into the underground. But that's the end of the comic. That's it. Cool. I'll quit. I'll shut up. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I, I, it has to be the inspiration for that. I was going to say, we need to have that, to see that inspiration there. Yeah. Daredevil. All right. So I'm going to go next because we're not going to end this one on a low note. Good. <laughs> uh, the DC Universe Rebirth, Harley Quinn number one. It was the, was the, the con exclusive book. Oh, wait, I didn't even see you pick it up. Yeah, I picked it up uh, just before we left. I figured I had to get something before I was leaving there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Harley Quinn. So it opens up that and Harley and Poison Ivy are sitting in a spa. They're basically talking about what's going on. Poison Ivy's trying to get more money for research. Uh, Harley Quinn is running a couple of businesses, which I didn't know that she really did that. It's mostly eye candy. Because they're just sitting in towels, <laughs> getting massages. Looking naked and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> Look at that side boob. Yep, there's some side boob in there. Uh, they're just sitting there just being a girlfriend, seeming kind of close, if you know what I mean. And there's a bunch of love yous going back and forth. You sure this is a bad book? Yeah. <laughs> at the end, uh, while they're just sitting there talking about you know stuff that they're doing and how much they, they like each other, uh, Harley's <laughs> like, you sure you don't want to move in? I got an extra room, you know, big bed. And Poison Ivy's like, no, no, I'll see you later, though. And they good, say goodbye with love yous. Then it hits the title page. Harley's standing on a uh, a stage doing kind of like a, an MC introduction. It says, I'm going to give you a little backstory on who I am. And then it goes into her backstory, how she was uh, a kid in New York, and then she grew up and became a psychologist, ended up working at Arkham Asylum. And they somebody thought it was a good idea that if she posed as an inmate she'd be able to get in close with the the inmates there and they'd talk to him all of them it worked with all of them except for the joker and it showed a panel of him saying well hello doctor you gotta say it in the mark hamill voice <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and then she ended up falling in love with him ended up breaking him out they escaped joker threw in her vat and turned her skin white and then dumped her which i don't know if that's uh, i don't I don't know the official (laughs) story of Harley Quinn other than, I mean, as far as the VAT goes. I know the psychologist part of it, but... uh, Yeah, yeah, the VAT part, I don't know. I thought it was just makeup, just from seeing it from the the animated series. Yeah, the first time I ever saw the VAT was in the Suicide Squad movie. Yeah, that's what... I I was aware of... I was definitely aware of that as, like, a Joker origin. Right. I, I didn't think it had anything to do with Harley Quinn. 
I always thought on her end it was just like makeup, and that was yeah, kind I of like too. part yeah. of the thing is that she was just a person trying to attain this Joker like, right. be more like this person she idolized. But but this came out after Suicide Squad, so of right, course that's, gonna, they're going to keep that going. Yeah. Uh, after that, you find out. Oh, well, she goes on to introduce all her henchmen, and they're all people with a, like a, a Harley Quinn type name. <laughs> they have uh, Har- Harley Queens and Harlem Harley and Harvey Quinn and Coach. I don't. And then there's this roller, <laughs> roller derby, roller derby uh, crew that she's got on her side. And after that, she starts talking to the two people that have been watching that she's been introducing everything to. And she's talking to Jim, Jim Salabim, which was a <laughs> genie that she let loose in a couple issues farther back. There's a footnote about that. I and actually then, remember that. I had a little, it was like a free copy. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. It was <laughs> a genie. Yeah. It was weird. And another guy called the Red Tool, I think it is. And he is just that. All his text bubbles are like in the shape of some kind of a tool, like a, a saw blade. I wondered what that saw. was. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's going on telling them how they're going to be working for her. You're going to be working, you know, four days a week. On the other day, you're just going to be doing this and that. And then he, Red Tool, tries to hit on her, and she kind of blows him off and asks him how his peripheral vision is. And he's like, "Well, I can see all these crazy people coming to start attacking us. It's pretty good." Then it cuts back to 98 hours prior. There's a farm with some cows eating. All of a sudden, a meteor falls down and hits the ground. And this alien that looks like a slee stack from a land of the lost <laughs> comes out, sees the cow, is like, oh, there's four-legged animals. These must be the uh, dominant species. And sits there talking to the cow's ass and then realizes he's talking to the wrong side of it. Next thing you know, a couple of farmers come up wanting to see what landed. And he turns, the alien turns into a cow. So he hides, so he can hide from the, the farmers. Oh, I see. Next thing you know, the farmers are rounding up the cows into the back of a truck, which get sent to a meat farm, and they, the cow ends up getting slaughtered, and it goes through the whole process of them slaughtering, getting processed, turned into hot dogs. Next page shows people buying hot dogs, people eating hot dogs, animals eating hot dogs, and that's when, like, everyone's infected with this disease. They're all... Uh, man-eating zombies. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> so it cuts back to Harley and the whole group. They're getting attacked by zombies. It's just a big fight scene of them, you know, killing people, saying, what's going on? Where? What's happening? Why are these people like this? The red tool gets bit by a zombie, so Harley cuts his arm off. He ends up passing out, and they're like, well, we got to get him to the hospital or he's going to die. Grab the arm. They're like, well, how are we going to get to the the hospital with all these zombies around? She's like, I got an idea. Get a parachute and meet me on the roof. So they run up to the roof, and there's a big old catapult sitting there that they're going (laughs) to aim the guy at the the hospital, shoot him off of the catapult, and then he'll hit the ripcord and float down to the hospital, and then they'll get saved. So they load him up, shoot him off. She's got a, a communication device trying to talk to him. They shoot him off into the air. And she's like, all right, pull the ripcord, pull the ripcord. And he's just like a ragdoll flying through the air, and then it cuts. That's the end of it. Well. You see how many ads there were in here, too? I did. About- yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> definitely took notice of that. Yeah. It's like Looney Tunes. Yeah, it was, oh, God, it was horrible. Ten bucks I had to pay for this. Well, wow, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a rebirth number one, Just and it's a variant, so it's 
probably going to eventually it's, be worth why, something. Yeah, right? that's why, because it's a very, yeah. <clears throat> All right. All right, Jake, what do we have over here? Anything uh, better than Harley Quinn? Fortunately, not that that's like a very high bar to pass, but yeah, <laughs> we've got The Wisdom of Fools, a horror anthology. Oh, and yes. uh, first thing that comes to mind, I know I'm judging a book by its cover, it's got this nice rotten toothy grin on the front, this sort of sinister looking rictus is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it always reminded me of a like a uh, horror like Cheshire Cat or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's either the teeth of some horrible monster or any common person from London. Oh, I knew oh, that one was coming. I knew it. Oh, and, sorry, uh, friends in London. Yeah, we got UK <laughs> friends over there. You better watch your mouth, Jake. Yeah, take that, Your Majesty. My dad was born in England, so I'm fighting my own people here. Um, it's an anthology series, so you're getting a lot in a few different pages here. And the story, uh, the very first story they lead with, is about this problem-solving fellow, a sort of. Uh, What's the phrase? I want to use the word genteel, but I don't know if that means what I think it means. But he's a very... Uh, like a nice person? Very genteel? Then no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Gen- gentle? I'm thinking gentle, someone, he's, he's got an air of dignity and sophistication about him. He's sort of an upper crust sort of fellow. He's got this long trench coat. And the, uh, the first story is in this kind of sapia tone, uh, just black lines and eventually quite a bit of red on this uh, a sort of tannish color. And it's, it's got a nice effect. And he describes himself as a problem solver, someone who is contracted to deal with issues that people consider beneath them. And he's approaching this uh, this apartment that's full of what he describes as as uh, as, as low class sort, you know, classless uh, punks, uh, drug dealers, something to that effect. He beats down their door with an axe, and over the course of this comic proceeds to murder them all with that axe and blow up the apartment. <laughs> and the entire time he's going on about it, he's like, kids today, they have no respect. Just listen to the way they talk. And these kids are going <laughs> on. It's just like, not a shred of dignity in them. And by the end, he's talking about, everyone acts so tough. And then they feel the bite of metal on bone. <laughs> and you're like, all right, this guy's an ass. But really cool. <laughs> really cool character. Sort of like an, an eraser sort of figure, you know. And then it jumps into the... Um, I believe the next story immediately after that is a fellow who wakes up um, on a slab in a morgue surrounded by sort of shambling corpses all calling his name. One catches him and bites into his neck. His eyes close. He wakes up again. He's being wheeled in on a gurney with a sort of Hannibal Lecter-style face mask, and he's in the middle of an exorcism. This sounds familiar. Yeah, and these priests have are convinced there's some demon within him that needs to be exercised, and he starts to lose his mind he appears for all intents and purposes possessed, starts killing them with his bare hands, closes his eyes, wakes up. He's in an apartment room, a room in an apartment. I guess I could just say he's in an apartment <laughs> surrounded by spiders that are encroaching Ooh. from every corner onto his bed. He's freaking out. He's freaking out. He closes his eyes. It flash forward to uh, Langley, Virginia, headquarters of the CIA, and you see this guy walking to this deep part of the structure to some secret project room, this dream lab, and they open it up, and he's strapped into this machine, wires and devices hooked up to his head. You get the impression he's been part of some strange dream-altering secret initiative. So a lot of interesting stuff like that, things that take a lot of strange turns, and I like that. I like weird things, you know? Weirdness is the spice of life. That's what I always say. Ask anybody. That's from the guys that brought you Obscura. Ah, well, there you go. Is that Fifth Dimension, right? Yep. Yeah, very cool, man. Awesome. I remember reading this book a long time ago. I need to read I it again. I haven't read it yet. I've had it for 
year and a half. It's, yeah, it's, I'd have to. I don't retain things. I always yeah. say I gotta. I gotta read books and watch movies you need to a few tattoo times yourself before I, like Memento. Right. Yes. <laughs> All right. A very uh, well, with the exception of Harley, another successful comic that. dump bin. Yeah. I used to like the character of Harley Quinn a lot, and now uh, not so much. Well, I mean, it's it's like what happens with anything else. I mean, the yeah. Joker went through the same kind of thing after Heath Ledger. I mean, all these different reincarnations. Well, wasn't that uh, the when the face came off Joker around that same time? Like mm-hmm. Death in the Family? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. What was that called? Death of the Family. Death of the Family. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. I'm not the a big re- fan of the cover art. The, there's other variants that I liked a little bit more. I don't know. I'm with Harley. I'm kind of stuck halfway between. Like I'm not. I'm, I'm not liking her. <laughs> Did I word that wrong? Did that come no, out in a certain it's way? It's my fault. It's uh, no. please explain. I got to know I'm where the laughter's like, coming like, from. I'm stuck halfway. It's like you know, it's like halfway, like the like an erection. Oh, <laughs> right. You can make me spell it out here. I get jokes. Okay. I get jokes. Ah, this guy. Okay. <laughs> no, what I mean. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> what I mean is um, her new look, her new okay. image. All right. The the her hair more than anything. Just the you know the pigtails with a little bit of color at the end of each. I hate. I don't like that. But at the same time, I can't go back. Like full on like outfit she wore the, the, in the no, yeah 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 it's too silly looking that way this is I feel uh, there has to be a medium somewhere this isn't this isn't enough for me Mm-mm. I could I could see her with like a chopped up punkish kind of thing like almost that like angry garage band like mini mullet thing give it a few you years see where it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah it'll happen it'll happen it happened with Storm oh, yeah. that's true yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, guys, we're going to leave you with the panel we recorded at the Cincinnati Comic Expo with Ray Park. Again, an actor who portrayed Darth Maul and Phantom Menace. And who was it? Snake Eyes? Snake Eyes in the G.I. Joe Joe movies. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. from the X-Men. That's right. I knew there was another one I couldn't think of. But it was an amazing panel. We're not just saying that so you listen to it. We actually really enjoyed (laughs) it. That was a good time. Yeah. So uh, stick around. We're just going to go ahead and end the episode and sign off here. And then we'll play the panel afterwards. So. Jack, what do we have on the website? Show highlights, guest info, listen to the show, follow us on all our social media, visit the Wall of Justice and see the Hall of Heroes. Check out some videos from our YouTube page, and if you want to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on your contacts page. Our contacts page, not yours. Not <laughs> Come on, guys. For <laughs> Don't forget to find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And ladies and gentlemen, show us your cans. We want to see your cans. Don't forget to use the hashtag, here's my can, to enter. Yeah, the contest we're going on, for those of you who don't know, if you go to our website, you can download a printable Candare can label that you can then take and put around like a can out of your pantry and then take photographs of it uh, just in various I don't know locations situations family friendly of course we don't want to see anyone's balls touching the can or anything like that <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have even put the idea out that's there that's next year <laughs> it's a very different this can of these nuts <laughs> Don't forget to use the hashtag show us your nards. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you uh, there are big prizes out there for the people who take the best pictures. We have the Stabity Bunny uh, prize pack, which is the first three issues of the Stabity Bunny comic. A bunch of stickers and a t-shirt, but that's not all. A whole bunch more comics from Think Alike Productions and uh, various other places. 
Uh, what was it like? Salvagers issue one and Salvagers, two. Uh, Max, Hunter, Max Hunter, the agency, the throwaways. Under the skin, I believe. Not under in the, the skin. Fl- uh, in the flesh. Under the flesh. Under the under the the flesh. flesh. We got there. We got there. That's right. But these are a lot of good comics that uh, you're going to get just for taking a picture. So go to the website, download the can uh, label, and get to taking some pictures. Uh, anything else, guys? I want to listen to Ray Park. Don't forget to drink your Ovaltine. Freaking commercial. It's so early for that. A commercial? (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Dorday. And I am Jake Ray. Thanks for listening, everyone.
are from an upcoming Tops game, right? Yes, from Tops. Um, they gave me a bunch, and um, so I did to give out. So here we are. And I forgot I had them this morning until at lunch. I was like, wait a minute. I feel like I've just been at the casino. So, I mean, let's let's get into it here. Uh, I know, reading a little bit about you, I know that you started really young in martial arts. It's kind of was your entry into all of this craziness, right? What, how, how young were you when you started with martial arts? Um, my parents says as soon as I was breathing and uh, crawling and was able to do stuff, um, <clears throat> I'm sure my dad was just, you know, any father would, you know, parent would be like, yeah, I my kid was walking before your kid or something. But uh, seven years old was the first official class I went to. Uh, I, was growing, I grew up in Glasgow, Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the age of eight, I moved to London. And it was only, only when we moved and I was introduced to martial arts. My dad wanted me to do Kung Fu. Mm -hmm. He wanted me to do what Bruce Lee was doing. And he was a big fan of Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. And um, so he, I sort of lived through, you know, it was passed on to me. Anything sci-fi, anything comic booky or cartoony, that was because of my, my parents and my uncles. And um, so I, I just grew up with that kid, into Batman and Spider-Man and Hulk and G.I. Joe. And, and Star Wars was the first movie I, I, I got to witness on the big screen. Um, when I was about seven, eight. And that's when, my life changed because um, I said I definitely want to do uh, gymnastics. I mean, martial arts, but I want to do gymnastics. I want to be like Luke Skywalker. I want to be able to do a handstand with someone on my back wow. and do front somersaults. And so, Kung Fu kind of had that. I had the, the gymnastics in as well. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, we're about the same age and. 21. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, this year. Yeah, but uh, to, uh, to grow up and, and Star Wars was such. A big part of my childhood it sounds like it was a big part of yours as well to grow up and get into the point where you're into the movie business and you get that call to say hey not only I mean you think back to episode one when it came out it was like they're making more Star Wars and then also to get the call to say hey we want to talk to you what was that what was that experience like to uh, to kind of get into that world um, it started with Mortal Kombat Annihilation uh, a double for raiding on them. Um, it was my, my apprenticeship into movie making. It was one of those, I was, I was competing, I was representing Great Britain for the Wushu team, traveling the world, I was enjoying it, but my goal was to get into film. And I knew if I got into stunts, I'd get into acting. But I wanted to work with Jackie Chan, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and a lot of the guys who work with Jackie Chan or, part, or are part of his team end up being featured like Cynthia Rothwell, Akeem. Keith Cook. So I wanted to be like those guys, those martial artists. And so when I was on Mortal Kombat, it kind of introduced me into how films were made. And then after that, you know, there was there was rumor of a new James Bond being made and this being made and uh, Lost in Space. And so all of my friends were all, they were qualified stuntmen, but I wasn't a stunt person. And that was made, was made clear to me on Mortal Kombat, you're not a stuntman, so we can't let you do stunts, but we can let you do the, the, the martial art fighting. And it was only when we went to Jordan and Thailand that the rules didn't apply there anymore. You know, they can break you in half, chuck you off the building because there's no union out there. And uh, I was grateful for that because I was grateful for I was, you know, dying a couple of times. But I didn't know that. It was only my fellow stunt guys who were saved, who saved me. Like, dude, man, we 
you know. Yeah, we don't do we don't do this stuff because it's gonna kill us. Yeah, like because I missed the mat because I nerves you now. You're at eight foot temple. You've got like a couple of feet to hit a trampette, and then do a move that I do every day in the gym. But it's a little bit different. At two in the morning, lots of moths flying around. You're in a UTL, and then you're trying to do a jump, turn, and get blasted by a shell can. And uh, you get a little nervous and scared. And I missed the mat because I went off to the side of it. But thanks to these great stunt guys, they saved me. You know, and if they weren't, you know, doing their job, I would probably be dead. But um, so that kind of gave me a good value on a lot of stuff, and so it taught me a lot. And um, and then so when I got back to London, I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to teaching martial arts and gymnastics. I've just been given this taste of this fantastic excitement. Um, and teaching martial arts and gymnastics was great, but to actually use it in the movie. And then um, I got a call from Nick Gillard about coming in. He said, look, I heard from you from a friend. And so I took all my weapons, I dressed in my team GB tracksuit, and I tore my hat back then, you know what I mean? All right? My, two four, my T4 crooked and stuff. So I had my portfolio, this is before, you know, you take your tape or DVD. So I got my portfolio in it, and he said to me, it was me doing the splits across the chairs that you know he said did it for him you know wow and uh and plus talking to him and um and then so we got on really well and he showed me pictures of darth maul and, and then I, when i saw story the storyboards of darth maul the pictures of him with a double blade lightsaber i just started to come alive with ideas and um so that's that was the beginning yeah that's got to be i mean to to be in that moment because like i said the idea that they were making more Star Wars movies, I think, was exciting for everybody. And then, you know, Darth Maul to be this, you know, he's got Darth in his name. You knew he was going to be a bad guy. You knew he was going to be awesome as soon as you heard the name. What was it like making the movies and getting a chance to uh, to interact and kind of watch that, that movie-making world take place around you? I saw, like, a big building site. It was kind of because I'd grown up working with my dad. He's an electrician, plumber, been on the building site ever since I was eight. And um, I was supposed to be an electrician, by the way. And, um, but I left school at a very young age because I had no idea. My dad used to say, you just don't, you don't like getting your hands dirty. <laughs> That's why acting suits me. Uh, it was just, it was a good skill that I learned from my, my dad. Um, it's great because it saves on the bills. Because I can deal with the, the odd jobs, but um, being on uh, it, did, it was kind of mind blowing. But to know that I was on Star Wars and I got picked, and normally I, I kind of saw it was oh maybe I would maybe get into stunts because the Mortal Kombat was quite a tough one for me because I wasn't a stunt man. So I knew when Nick said look if it doesn't work out, if, you know they need an uh, actor stunt man to play the part, and. Um, you, may, you might get it for your audition, they might like you, you never know, but if it doesn't work out, I'll bring you on when you can work with me as part of my team. I knew that wasn't going to happen because I wasn't a stuntman. So officially, in, the, uh, in England, you've got to do certain requirements. So I kind of knew, oh, this may, may not happen. So to actually land the part, mind-blowing. It, it was the best moment of my life, apart from my kids being born. But moment in my competition life, like competing and doing, being on the floor for one minute twenty, and doing the best you can do, and in, in the competition, I was on my way to a demo with my teammates, and we were helping open up a youth center. 
And I got the call from Britt McCallum on my way. And then I pull over, and, and all my teammates that come from all over England, and they're beeping their horn, and they're like, what's up, what's up? And I'm like, oh my God. And this is before our like, phones were digital, and you know. Yeah, you had to stop so you didn't lose the call. Yeah. yeah. And it, was, it came up unknown, so I knew I had to answer it, because not many people had my number, so I was curious who was calling me. And it was Rick McCallum, and uh, he was the one that gave me the news, and it was the best uh, pep talk I've ever had. You know, and he said to me, Ray, I want you to scare every child in America and the world. Can you do that for me, Ray? I went, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> but I, I kinda, at the time, I was just saying it, but I was, I was a coach and a teacher at the time. So for me to say it was kind of weird, but I just said it, because I want a job. <laughs> it, was, it didn't relate, I wasn't going, yeah, I can scare them. It was more like, yeah, I can do it, because I'm, I'm just saying it, because I want it, I'm excited. So we get to the demo, and normally, it, it's hard doing the, the wushu routine, you're doing this thing, but I had the best energy of my life. It's like someone gave me a couple of Duracell batteries, and I just kept on going, because I had the biggest secret in the world. I couldn't tell my teammates. And it was like, I wasn't allowed to tell anyone, and I had to swear I wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> not going to tell my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Being out there demonstrating was the best, because I was like, why couldn't I do this in competition? <laughs> you know, it was the best, I had the best energy of my life, knowing that I just got the part of it in a, in a Star Wars movie. And this is it, I'm going to follow my dreams. I'm, it's, you know, the martial arts paid off. Yeah, I mean, that, I, that's exciting because it sounds like you were in a, in a position where you didn't know if you were going to do, be able to do stunts, act, you're kind of in that in-between, and here you are, you're yeah. hired as an actor who can do all of this stuff that they needed somebody to be able to do. Yeah, it's kind of a weird, because Mortal Kombat was um, kind of a real lesson for me. Um, <clears throat> I was on it, and then I had to leave because of rules and stuff. So then, of course, I was upset, crying. I remember the night I cried in my car. And then I couldn't tell my dad because I, you know, I left all my my kids, you know, that I was teaching. And I had to pass it on to one of one of my other instructors. But I just had a taste of being part in, in a movie, and then Robin Shute brought me on because he knew about the politics of stunts and stuff. He said, "I'm bringing you on as part of my team, so you're part of my team." And that's what saved it. So you know, I, I love Robin; he's great, and he brought me on. And I, because of all the combat, I got Star Wars. And for Nick to have belief in me, George and Rick McCallum, and, and just be part of it. Of course, I wanted to be a Jedi. I always asked, hey, why can't you bring me on to be a Jedi? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm grateful for being Darth Maul because I didn't understand what being the bad guy was. I just knew, all right, I'm in a movie. This is going to help me. Maybe this is it. Right. I can go to Hong Kong now. Maybe Jackie Chan will me. <laughs> Maybe I can take my shirt off and do box splits and be like, damn, you know? <laughs> Kickboxer. <laughs> Because I love watching Van Damme movies, and so it's, um, I feel very lucky. How much of the, uh, of the vision of Darth Maul was kind of brought to you, and they said, hey, this is what you want to be able to do, and how much of it was, hey, we've got this guy, and he can do all this amazing stuff. Um, let's make that part of the character. Was it, talk about that process, if you could. Um, I was 22 when I was on the movie. Being brought up in London, you just keep your mouth shut. You want a good thing, and open your mouth, and make it feel of yourself. And that's kind of how it was. And so I, I treat George and, and Ned like teachers. And 
throughout that week of rehearsal, when I was brought in, that was what got me the job as well, because at the end of that week, I was dressed up as Darth Maul. They put a ball cap on me, uh, and we filmed it as a test fire. And that was kind of my audition tape. And throughout that week, we kind of, kind of played with stuff. And I accidentally showed off how we do stuff. Um, kind of like would fall over by accident, flip up and do a spin. Um, and sometimes I did fall over, but I just recovered. From, <laughs> and it's from like maybe you've been your nerves and excited, so I would trip over and then I would do like a move and get, get out of it. And that kind of sort of maybe helped to sort of show off something like the butterfly twist and the butterfly. I kind of sneak snuck that in. That was part of my wushu kung fu. And then, and then once I was on it, it was just a case of playing. And, and Nick had his vision, Rick and George had their vision, especially George. And Andreas Petridis and I, we would just play around. He was the assistant stunt coordinator. And a lot of the time, we would just move far from, and we were playing Soul Calibur at the time. Does anyone remember that game? So we used to like mess around. And Andreas is a phenomenal stunt person. He was in the military. He was, a, he was the breakdancing kid that I used to watch on TV. And he was one of the reasons why I went into body pop and breakdancing. So we had this instant bond. And so we, we do forth, and so we reenact the end sequences. You know, when I go, this is, you know, I'm talking about street fire or, te or um, Tekken, but they go home to daddy now. You know, but there's end moves. So we would reenact that and then fight like what you would do with your lightsabers and play around. You know, I've seen you outside. Yeah? <laughs> Everyone's got their own version of a lightsaber duel. And that's what we did. We were just big kids, like, what would you do if you did this and did that? Ah, oh, no, you get me, you get sperm. I can't do that. No, I can't do that, dude. And that's kind of how we did it. And we just goofed off and played around and basically enjoyed that. Yeah, because that was a, for somebody that grew up on, you know, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, that was very, you know, kind of almost like, I don't know, like sword fighting. To, to, to bring in the, the, the martial arts aspect of it, I mean, what we saw in, in Phantom Menace was like mind blown because it was a completely different kind of fighting style. Because of the original movies, it influenced me on how I was portraying Darth Maul. But of course, I was trying to get more of my wushu in there. Was, there's a lot, there's other moves that I could do with a lightsaber, but it wasn't within the Star Wars world. And, um, so I respect that. But there's a lot of other flashier stuff. And then there's, a, there's an old saying in stunt business as well, don't do a trick, trick for a trick, or stunt for a stunt, just to show off. Because it, it mean, it's meaningless. So I'm, I respected that too, and understood that. So we play around, and that guy asked too much. But I remember, I remember asking him, can I do this? Because look, whatever you want to do to your character, you can do. And that's when I started to spin it up a little bit. I started showing off. Cool. Now, um, the actual fight sequences, you've got you, a trained martial artist, Ewan McGregor, and Liam Neeson. Walk us through some of that, because I imagine that both, both those guys seem athletic, but they weren't on your level. What's it like to, uh, to kind of try to work with somebody that, uh, you know, that's just kind of an actor, as opposed to somebody that can do what you can do? Well, it's the first time I got to do fire choreography in, with that sense of lightsabers. In Mortal Kombat, we, I was fighting with a martial artist. Um, and, and so we weren't using any weapons, but for Star Wars, it was like my first time doing something for a movie. We did, we have forms in Kung Fu and Wushu that you, you battle and you do stuff. It's very different from movie stuff. 
So when I got to work, so I was working with Stan guys, so everything was always energetic, energetic, fast, 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 as fast as we could go, you know, because we were challenging ourselves. When it, the tempo was different with the actors, but I preferred it because we were actually, they were portraying their characters in the fights. So it really helped, helped me portray my character. So it was a different, whereas, you know, we do parry block, but we'd be off and spinning straight to another move. But the actors, it was normal, you know, we'd do a bit and then do a big beat the acting model. And so it really influenced me. And I, I picked one up on that straight away. It wasn't like, oh, but they're slow or they're different. I was just like, oh, yeah, I get it. And so it gave me time to, it wasn't just all about fighting. It was about portraying the character as well. And you and Liam were fantastic. Yeah, I get it well because when you are fighting somebody in martial arts who knows them, you know, you have a, you have a routine that you can go through. Yeah. But, you know, if you're trying to portray that, that fight between, you know, Two characters, it's a little bit different because yeah. they don't, they're not in sync like like two guys who know the same martial arts are. Well, we I trained more with Andreas and, and Robin just in the beginning, and then you and Liam, they had when they came on board, they already they knew the fights. It was just a different beat, different tempo at first, and so it was um, which I like I liked. Uh, it, it was just different, but I, I respected that they had their view on the fight as well. They had a say of what they want to do for their characters. And um, I remember thinking, you know, like, just because we rehearsed everything A to Z, doesn't mean we have to go A to Z. If it changes a little bit and adapt the set and for the surroundings, that's fine. So I learned a lot of work on Phantom Menace about that. And it was, it was great working with you and, and Liam, because they were fun and they enjoyed it. And, and actually, Liam, you know, he reminded me, because in Wushu we get really low, and it's just a natural thing for me to do, is hit a horse stance. And he goes, like, great, I feel really, I'm way up here doing this to you. All the way down there. Wow, it is. It's funny about it. And then I was like, oh yeah, sorry, it's just a habit. Yeah, because he's a big guy. Yeah. He goes, I feel silly. You know, I'm respectful of doing it. But, and I'm like, oh yeah. And it was just a habit. You right hit it down and hit low. And uh, so I just had to adapt to it. And I heard Ewan was really into the fighting throughout the whole Star Wars movies. Yeah. What was it? What was he like to work with? He was fun. And morning, as soon as he got up at five, and, you know, at five and six, he was happy and singing and you know, happy to be there. And it, was, it was nice. It was nice for me to sit. I couldn't talk because I'm getting done up in the makeup. But for him, it, was, it sort of cheered me up. All right, you brought up the makeup. What was the makeup process like? Because I've got to think that there's part of me that goes, yes. This is my big moment. I'm in a Star Wars movie. This is going to be fantastic. And then you see the character design, and you go, "No one's going to have any idea that this is me underneath all of this." What was the what was the process like to get all done up as Darth Maul? I wasn't thinking that. I was just thinking they're going to find out I'm faking this. <laughs> I don't look as handsome as the artist portrayal of Darth Maul, and I'm like, "Don't make oh no, <laughs> just you know, go with it." You know, I didn't have the chiseled jaw. I was 22. Cheekies and, and uh, the picture of Darth Maul that uh, Ian McCabe drew was distinguishing, cool, and I'm like it made up, and I didn't, I didn't see it, you know, I couldn't see it, and I'm like okay, and it wasn't until afterwards you watched the movie and I'm signing pictures of myself, and I thought, oh, and I stare at people, what's up, and I, and I just look at it, and go wow, it's like when I look at photos of uh, snake bites. You don't see it in your eyes and looking in the mirror, you're like, you're looking at the bits, oh, I look a bit chubby there, I don't look good there, I can't do that there. And you're looking at things you, you pick up on. And it's when I see you, like, oh yeah, it does look good in the picture. And, it, and 
it was when the contact lenses were put in and everything's and the horns were drawn. I still didn't appreciate because I couldn't see through the lenses until I watched the movie. And I was like, wow, is that me? Oh, wow. wow. But at first I thought I just looked like a big panda. Because <laughs> my eyes were really big, you know? And the way I talked a bit more like that, you know? So it looked really weird, and I'm like, oh, no, I didn't discover, I'm just faking this, you know? <laughs> I'm just going on this, you know? I wasn't faking it, but... That, but that was a, that's had to be a long process, too, to say to somebody, we're going to do all this, we're going to paint this up, we're going to, don't mess it up, now go fight. Yeah, it's, uh, it wasn't, calling the, the, the makeup, and he hand-brushed me, like, very intricate, and he loved it. I could see his eyes on the way back. He really enjoyed it. And a few of the times, he said, yeah, go to sleep, go to sleep, because I was in at 5 in the morning, and I was finishing maybe 11. So I was on a, I was on a roller coaster. I was like, this is great. Just, can I just finish at night so I can get and do about an hour of gymnastics before I come back in? That's what I wanted to do. When I was on set, I just wanted to get in the gym, do my bit. Because rehearsing the fights was great, but I wasn't getting my flying in the air on the trampoline, sort of kind of fights. And um, so I would be asleep in the chair, and I'm quite a twitcher if I'm really tired. And I remember him telling, like, telling me, like, first he was like, yeah, you can sleep, and then I would twitch, and he, I might twitch around my eyes and stuff. And he goes, right, you can't sleep anymore. <laughs> and then I always forget the makeup's on, so I'd do this, and I had a habit of doing this. And so Pete, and then he'd be like, you can't touch your nose anymore. You want to scratch your nose? I'll scratch it. Be <laughs> <laughs> gentleman about it. But I always forget, you know, and you've got to do this. And, oh, you know, it was too much because I wouldn't have to forget. It's on, you know, and even with the, the horns, I would forget. Wow. So, so you, you, you do Star Wars. I want to take some time to get into some of the other stuff because you had your big kind of actor moment in X-Men. You get to be you got to be you a little bit more. You get to talk, you get to you see a little bit more of you while you're still kind of doing the acrobatics. Talk about that experience a little bit. First, I didn't want to be told at first. <laughs> Wolverine was taken. No, yeah, no, this, yeah, yeah. at one point, uh, when they called me in and Brian Singer called me in and Tom DeSanto and Kevin Feige, it was Pyro. They're like, we wanted to play Pyro. And I knew all the X-Men characters. And I remember thinking, what about like Wolverine and what about Gambit? And I remember having a meeting with Fox, and she said to me, they're making a Wolverine movie. You should look into that. And then I get a call from the producer saying, you're going to be in LA anytime soon. And I've never been to LA, and I was at Celebration 1 in Denver. I made every possible opportunity to get to LA straight after that show to meet with them, because they, they, they said, hey, we're doing an X-Men movie. We're interested in talking to you. And so they, you know, they asked me to read for Pyro, and Toad was there. And he was just like in the background, like messing with Sabretooth. And then I was at a Wizard World show in Chicago, my first one. And then they said, Look, we want you to be told. I don't want to be told. <laughs> told. You know, because I remember being like, you know, like the comics. Like, well, I was thinking prosthetics. You know, I knew straight away it's all the prosthetics. And I'd been part, part of that for Braca in Mortal Kombat. And I didn't like it. I didn't like it. the whole process of sitting there in the glue and messing up your skin. And, and um, that was then. And so um, Brian said to me, the Ray, this is an opportunity for you to um, bring something new to the character. Forget what's in the comics. You want to do something fresh. And what I was worried about, anything mean or looky I did, would look like Darth Maul. And I didn't want the fans to you, you've just been Darth Maul there. So it was a, it was a, a, a challenge for me trying to be different. Because, um, you know, there's only so many mad faces you can do, and, and, and you know, scary faces. And, and so I had to 
trademark physical performance. And, and so I said to Brian, I can do that. Because he wanted me to wear the goggles for the whole fight, for the whole time. And, um, and again, I was like, oh, no one's going to see my face. They're not going to know it's me. I'm going to have this whole battle again, trying to get another job. I want to show me. And my agents were like, we're going to show Ray. We want to show Ray. And, uh, and I was a lot younger back then, so really went behind the ears. And uh, so Brian listened to it. And, um, and I said, look, Brian, I can convince you that I could be menacing and mean without the goggles. The goggles. And so he was very supportive. And he was a great, great director to work with as well. Now, you went on from that to, uh, to be Snake Eyes. And I remember when I was a kid, like, Snake Eyes was the action figure I wanted to have. That was, like, my, my foray. Like, you know, you had, like, the, the kung fu movies and stuff, but you saw Snake Eyes on the G.I. Joe cartoon show, and it was like, that's who I want to be. That's bad. Um, so what was it like to, uh, to kind of get a chance to really bring all of the... All of the uh, the martial arts training and everything else to this to this other awesome like iconic role. Well, a friend of mine who works in press, he said, "Look, Ray, they're making a Snake Eyes movie. Get your people onto it." I'm like, I don't have any people. So I'm living in LA, and I look and I've worked with a few directors, and I look through, and I go, "Who do I know on a good level, personal friendship level, I can call in a favor and just say, do you know who's making the Snake Eyes movie or GI Joe movie? Just find out who it is, so I can audition and send something in there." I just want to audition. So I went out, my wife and I had bought ideas. I got my wushu buddy who was living in LA. He was going to be Storm Shadow. We were going to film this little 10 minute piece. It was going to be my audition tape. I had all these ideas. I knew exactly what to do. It was going to be dark. And, and then, um, and this is before I, I sort of, because I wanted to send it and just find out who, who was doing it. And then he, I found out who was, uh, who was going to be directing. And then within, I went out and bought this fantastic camera. Within that week, I get a call saying, they're interested in you, Ray, you know, come in. So I went and met the casting director. She's like, yeah, talking, and she gave me a few little secrets. She couldn't tell me too much. So it kept me on the loop a little bit, like I was on edge. And then Stephen Summers wanted to see me, and then it turned into an audition. So I was just, I was recovering from knee surgery. So I had, up until then, I hadn't done any martial arts or anything about four months, five months, it was taking a lot longer to recover. My son was just born, trying to run around and be daddy and stuff. And it was kind of a bit of a weird time because I couldn't go out too much. So when I got the call to say about doing this audition, I couldn't turn it down. So that, the whole week, I just went on a kind of meditating week. I was just like cleansed and focused and visualized and prayed and visualized and focused and focused. And I had my set little routine that I can adapt to without them knowing I had a bad knee. And then I turned up to the audition, and there's a couple other guys there auditioning. And I just got off a plane from a convention. I strapped my knee up, put some Chinese medicine on it, kissed my kids, they went outside. I tell you, you have kids give you superpowers, you know? And uh, walk in there, there's no pain. It's in competition mode. It's like, poof. And uh, the stunt director was there, and the fire ranger was there, and said, who wants to go first? I went, me. I'll go first. You know, because uh, I wanted to show I wanted this thing. Plus, I wanted it outside the other guys over there. You know, but it was more out psyching me up, and all of that worry went away. And that it was one of the best auditions I've ever had. I really enjoyed it. And again, um, I made a few mistakes and showed off. You know, genuinely I did because my knee was bad. But I had to out of like frustration. I did a butterfly twist and landed. Still kept in character because Snake Eyes was a character I grew up with as a kid. He was the reason why I wanted to be a commando. 
you know, he was, I played with him and I had the tanks and we had the action man and action force in the UK. I wanted to be a ninja. And um, so it, was, it meant a lot for me to do the, to play Snake Eyes. And it meant a lot because I, I'd been to conventions and a lot of fans came up to me and said, you know, if they ever do a G.I. Joe movie, you'd be an awesome Snake Eyes. And I go, yeah, 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 yeah. Wouldn't think about it too much. And uh, I think Wizard World called it out and said, oh, Ray Park should be Snake Eyes. And then here I am auditioning for it. So it meant a lot for me as a person, but as also for the fans. And even, on, even when I was on set, I'd be like, no, Snake doesn't do that, you know. Snake would take a bullet to save Joe when he's fighting Storm. You know, when we're in the pit, there was a lot of moments where I was thinking, like, no, 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 no. You've got to understand the character. You know? And so we had these moments, because I was thinking, i got to get this right, because I'm coming to, I'm going to be doing conventions, and I don't get, hey, you suck, man. <laughs> you know, Snake Eyes had to be, you know, I had to do it. Yes. So I hope to do the third one, if they ever ask me about That's why I'm training hard, you know, just, Excellent. I want to be Snake Eyes in real life. Yeah. <laughs> You're close. You're close. You just gotta get, you know, get the outfit. It's be good. Uh, we got about 15 minutes left. You love too much to be Snake Eyes. <laughs> I'm allowed to talk now. <laughs> you know how many conversations I've had in my mask? You know, I remember Stephen Summers, like, talking. He's fun to work with. And I'm doing the finger things, walking like this. It, 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 I, I can do, I walk in my hands, yeah? I usually do that all day long. But on your fingertips, when you're in wires, you're doing it, and it's still hard. And then you're hearing, but not really, I just turn, turn my, and do that thing. You lose, you're everywhere. And then I'm hearing it, and I remember just going, Aah! something else. I Myself up. Oh, yeah. you know, I don't want to mess it up. So I'm having this whole conversation. So I talk to myself. I'm not. What are you going to do? I didn't. Just look around a bit. Got it? Oh, yeah. No, I'm just messing. I was just messing. Trust me, when you're in the suit, it feels good. Even though it's painful, but you feel good. You, you become that character. You know? it's, it's something about being in the snake eyes that I love. Oh, yeah. Oh, we've got uh, some folks lined up want to do a little Q&A while we've got some time left here. Yeah, Step sorry up. for talking too much. <laughs> I get so excited, you know? I, in the back, I said, have you got time to get everyone up? We'll do some, bust out some moves and stuff. And then we go, <laughs> Obviously, in episode one, you die, but because of the Clone Wars, Darth Maul comes back, and currently he is in Star Wars Rebel, but he doesn't refer to himself as Darth. If somehow he miraculously uh, survives Rebels and survives the original trilogy and comes back for, let's say, episode nine, I doubt the joke be in episode eight, uh, do you think he'll be good, neutral, or go back to being Darth? I haven't been, I finally watched the episode where uh, Ezra goes into Temple, yeah. and he's, it seems like he's good, but you can see he's manipulating him. Like, yeah. So I've only seen that because my DVR doesn't keep on recording the other ones I need to see. <laughs> and I watch with my kids, and believe me, I get excited when I'm like, yeah, it's Darth Maul, even though it's the boys. I'm like, yeah. And I'm excited to see where he's going because it, it'd be nice to play him again. It'd be nice for him. And, you know, I know you're looking at me and I can be Darth Maul talking about that. 
<laughs> if I got asked to do it, it would be, it would, it would be great. It would be great to, if they wanted me to reference what he is now, I would love to do that. Because in my mind, Darth Maul was, his way I played him, in, you know, there's how I, there's that history of me, but there's development as well. And so it's great to, I, I love seeing him in Clone Wars. I love to, I've always wanted, like, I always fascinate in my mind was, if they ask me back, I'd love to do the whole tattoo effect and show that. Just so it'd be one for me that like, I'd kept this discipline um, and it'd be pretty, it was pretty cool when I saw, you know, when I saw that image. And um, so it'd be nice to see him again. You know, it'd be, and I'm hearing rumors that he's, he is an eight, so, but it's not for me, or you're not. So it's never know. He could come back. So it'd be cool to see. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry to keep you waiting so long. <laughs> He's a great actor. Oh yes. Yeah, he's awesome. He's, he's got great voice, and he can do any, anything. And so um, I've seen him at quite a few shows, and he's, and he's asked me, "What do you think? What do you think of the fights?" I said, "I love it." I, I, and I, I said to him, "I'd love to. I would have loved to have seen Darth Maul in double bladed lightsaber. You know, pick off his brother. God, let me show you. <laughs> but, you know. But I saw Darth Maul back then as a gentleman, a distinguished person." Because of that image of Ian McCabe, like this. And so that influenced me in how I was, you know, portraying him. And in the test fight, I didn't show a lot of like, uh, this is more, you know, when you see the old classical guys and they show no emotion. It's kind of like that, you know. And, um, so yeah, I love what he's done. Sorry. It's okay. I, like I haven't it. had coffee yet. Hi, <laughs> right, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Not too bad. Um, my question is, uh, so you grew up and you, you loved watching the original Star Wars and stuff like that. Uh, what was it like for you getting to be on the set of Fanboys and getting to, you know, work with those original, some of those original characters, Carrie Fisher, Billy Dee Williams and stuff like that from the original Star Wars movies? I didn't get to see those guys when, we were, when it was my scenes. They brought me in for a few days. And it was, it was, really, it was really nice and warm that the, the main actors like were really like over the moon and I remember there was a, a flea market next to where we were filming and we went out and bought kendo sticks and I was showing the guys how to do moves you know within, uh, outside of trailers and they were just like mind blown I was there so it felt, it felt nice and it was only when Kevin Spacey walked up to me Say anything, I was still so, oh my god, it's a different spacey, you know? And he was like, and as I was, you know, in my element showing off and showing stuff, I didn't know what to say to him. So it was really nice to be on it. And Carl uh, Newman's a friend of mine, and he asked me years before, I'm going to be doing this movie, would you, would you want to do a cameo? I'm like, yeah, no problem, do it for free. So, yeah, I'd love to do it. And then it actually happened, he called me out, and I remember being on set, and I wasn't nervous about anything else apart from being Kevin Spacey that time. 
But the big deal was that Carl wanted me to do my famous butterfly twist, but I couldn't bump into Vader in front of me. <laughs> and I had the two nightsticks, and I was like, oh, get these out, better get them out, and time to get, was it time to get mauled or something? Or prepared to get mauled. But I had to make sure I nailed this butterfly twist. And I only had from like, say, we're here to where you are now. And Vader's right there, and I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> and everyone's watching, they're waiting, you know? Yeah, you hear the cameras going, I want to mess this up, but I did it. But the one big thing, I couldn't touch Vader, because it, it was a prop from the 501st that wasn't part of the crew. And um, so that was the most scariest part for me. I, I couldn't mess up the butterfly twist, because that's what I'm known for. But it was a lot of fun to... No, thank you. That guy just stole my thunder for the same question. Uh, um, but uh, my next question is, is how is Marlon Wayans? Because I really like him as an actor, and I wanted to know, was he that comical on set when you were filming G.I. Joe's, or was it just a stunt for the for No, he's else? funny all the time. Yeah, he's, um, I liked working with him. He, he, he like, I remember him, and we were all on in the bus together, and we were having uh, firearm training in Sun Valley. I had to shoot some big machine guns and stuff. Because and, I was a lefty, it kind of worked the opposite way. I had to, you know, I thought I had to get the bullets on me because it was their way. But he, he was cool and he was always funny all the, all the time. He was always funny. And I remember him, I'm reading my sides and we're all together and I'm reading my lines. He's like, Ray, you got no dialogue. You don't have to say anything. You've got the easiest job out of all of us. <laughs> and I said, Yeah, no, I'm reading what you guys are doing because I want to know where I need to be. Oh, yeah. And then Karen made a joke, and you know, Rachel made a joke, but it was just funny because he would always call me Snakey. Snake guy, Snakey. You know, so it was pretty cool. You know, it was pretty cool for him to on and off, off screen. So I was kind of like, yeah, why not mine? So I love watching him, you know? Thank you. Yeah, he's cool. Hey, thanks for being here. Thank uh, you. My name's John. I actually, I got the chance to run into you about 20 years ago, right before episode one came out, and you were doing a press tour, and I was a college student in uh, Chicago, and we were making a little documentary about the crazy fans who waited in line for about a week for uh, episode one to come out, and you were just stopping by, and we actually, you were nice enough at the time, I'm sure you don't remember, but you are nice enough to actually let us interview you for our little student class project, which was really nice of you. And so I got this chance to meet you right before the movie came out, and I hadn't seen it yet, and I was like, wow, that's a really, Ray Park is a really nice guy. I'm like, I don't know how he's gonna play a bad guy in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so friendly and just so nice, and so, um, I was wondering, I'm kind of curious, like, since it's kind of a time capsule now, like 20 years later almost, how, um, you obviously knew Star Wars was gonna be huge. I did. You didn't? No, no okay. it's it kind of, I didn't know what to do. I, I kind of knew and I didn't know. It's one of those weird things, like, trying to work for two, in that two hour time frame after we finished filming. There was a time when I was trying to get an agent so I'm in a new Star Wars movie, and uh, you send your bio five, nine and a half, weight 185, da 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 da. And she said, What, you're an Ewok? I'm the new bad guy, but I couldn't tell anyone, you know? Yeah. So well, I didn't interrupt you. Well, I, no, no, I was just curious. So, I mean, obviously, you were a Star Wars fan growing up and everything. Were you still caught by surprise by some things about the reception to the movie, or just the level of fame and the fact that even now, 20 years later, 
Um, you've done other great stuff too, but people still know you for Darth Maul. And no, I love did that it. surprise you? Yeah, it surprised me. A friend of mine said to me while we were filming, um, uh, and I always knew my voice was getting dubbed before I got the, 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 the part. And, uh, he, uh, and it was more about the action for me. And he said, oh, you look so cool and evil until you open your mouth. <laughs> in the ADR, but especially back then, I was 22, I was like, I'm sure it sounds like that now, but I was even more so. Like, I would say, thanks, yeah, thanks, and talk, and that, and not, you know what I mean? Bish, bash, bosh, it's my master. And um, so I was like, oh, whatever. And, uh, and then he said, you know, you're gonna be doing conventions for the rest of your life. And I said, what's a convention? He goes, oh, you know, Kenny Baker, da, 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 da. And I was like, what's, what is that? And then I remember getting invited to a couple of conventions. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Said, yeah, that's, that's, what's that all about? And I went to one and it was just, wow! <laughs> 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 and I love it. So even to this day, the response that everyone gets and uh, gives me, and even kids now, the new generation, Darth Maul. And I, I remember the time when I was worried about the plane Darth Maul and that call I got saying, you're going to scare every kid. And I kind of lied because I was teaching kids. And so you're a role model and you're like, mm. and so I reflected on that. So it's pretty cool, mate. Like, yeah, and so it's, it's kind of cool and because of the martial arts side and gymnastics side to sort of help with that character. And if it inspires other people to follow their dreams, you know, and, and sort of pursue their dreams, and that makes my day. I just want to say that's the best fight in any of the Star Wars movies is that Darth Maul fight at the end of episode oh, one. So fast. I think we've got time for like one or two more questions because they've got to turn the room. They've got another panel coming up. Sorry, I talk too much. <laughs> I hope too because I'm sure the guy behind that's me That's what I get for being a silent ninja. <laughs> so... A couple of my questions have already been answered, so here's my lame third question. It's not lame. How many of those prop swords did you, Ian, and um, Liam go through? Oh, I, remember I remember seeing Sanders, the, the props master. He had his own special car with orange and green and uh, uh, blue. Yeah, blue. <laughs> and we were going through them, and one fight, that was it, it was gone. You know, like, bang. <laughs> and mine would be like, <laughs> so he'd be like, you know, especially when we were doing the, the beam fire and the end fire, it was like, the, the poles were doing that. It was pretty, they were aluminum poles, so you could still hit them, but we, were, we weren't going with force, we were just, we were using technique. And Ewan was very like, when I, I used to watch myself, and Nick would go, oh, your feet move so quickly, and I'd go, what does he mean? I'd, I'd, I always look, uh, I always remember what I could have done, or, what I did, and then, but now I watch you and I watch Liam, I go, wow, I really, you watch Liam, and I'm like, whoa, he's really, you know, oh. I didn't appreciate it because I didn't see it, you know, to this day I look and go, wow, he really, he worked his bath. <coughs> Thank you. That's why he killed me. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. All right, this will have to be the last one because we've, we've got to turn the room over for our next panel. I'm sorry. All right. That's all right. I'm a uh, member of a lightsaber group in Morehead State University, and we do the sabering stuff and hit each other with them, you know, sticks. And a lot of them look up to you as Darth Maul, and I want to know if you would say hi to them. What's his name? My name is uh, Robert Wynn. Yeah, Robert. And who plays the Darth Maul? 
Do you? No, I don't have that. I can't bounce around in that. I do. There's another one that does, though. Say, so, hey, you guys made a force be with you. Stop beating each other up. It's supposed to be pretending. Star Wars. Mom, Billy did it. Hold on there, Mervin. Wow, it's Flint. It's one thing to break a window, but it's another to blame Simple Billy. You should be inside listening to the Candare podcast. What about the window? I guess you shouldn't have broke it. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Henceforth, you shall be known as Darth Vader. <laughs> Rise. That's awesome. What the f- <laughs> If you are able to hear your own voice, then you have configured Skype correctly. If you hear this message... History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.